0: Welcome back, Brown Girls, Ashanti here, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, the one stop shop podcast for women of color who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. As we continue with our collaboration with She the People, we're highlighting women from their 20 women of color to watch in 2020 list. These are all barrier breaking women who are changing the political landscape this year and beyond. Meet Nse Ufad and Jennifer Epps Edison. Jennifer Epps Edison is the president and co-executive director of the Center for Popular Democracy, which works with affiliates and partner organizations across the country to build a more inclusive, equitable society and political institutions that work for everyone. Jen, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing as well as anybody can be expected. I'm surrounded by family. I have been able to be in close contact with, you know, parents and loved ones. And of course, I, you know, am protected with the benefits of a good union workplace. So I, you know, all things considered, I, I'm feeling very blessed.
0: We love to hear that. And before we start the interview, we were chatting and we're talking about being on the road so much doing this work. What inspired you to get involved in community organizing?
1: I mean, I think my mother would say I was just born this way. You know, I grew up uh, a Black woman in the state and city that have been named the worst place in america to be black milwaukee wisconsin and and i know mm-hmm. most people don't think of black folks when they think of wisconsin they think of like beer cheese and the packers but you know there have been generations of deeply entrenched um you know racial segregation and, and and problems that have you know led to this dichotomy of wisconsin being one of the best places in america if you are a white child and and the worst if you are black and so. Um, I think I recognized that from an early age and felt really passionate about it. And as a high school student, I became really politicized around the um, around school funding and around the idea that, you know, schools in the suburbs were getting twice as much per pupil um, than, you know, the school that I was going to in the city of Milwaukee. Mm. Um, You know, the reality is, is that every single thing that we hold to be sort of like a part of the american dream was fought for and won by people organizing their communities and taking collective action and so um you know i feel very blessed to be able to spend my life um really working with folks to help as many people as possible in this country find their voice and power
0: oh that is that is very powerful what you just said And you mentioned being from Milwaukee. We're in the middle of the coronavirus. We're seeing it as a city where the majority of the Black population there is infected with the virus. And that has also just spurred conversations too about how so many people still had to go to work and how our essential workers, a lot of them grocery workers, aren't getting a fair wage. And you've led so many different campaigns, including Fight for 15. So how Are you connecting at the moment, all the work that you've been doing with Fight for 15 for people to have a $15 an hour wage and what you're seeing with essential workers who are putting their health and their lives on the line right now to make sure that we are able to get the benefits that we need and stay safe in our homes?
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, uh, what we saw just this past Tuesday in Wisconsin was a travesty and a failure of democracy. Um, There's no way around it. Uh, You have a city, uh, the largest city in the state, uh, multiple times the population of any other city that is used to having over 150 polling places that on Tuesday in the midst of a crisis in which we are not supposed to gather in large crowds, crowds over 10 had five polling locations open. For a critical election, had uh tens of thousands of people who had requested absentee ballots who had not received them as of election day. And the the you know, the impact on on my community, on my people is is not an accident, right? It is the product of decades worth of policy passed by elected officials who are, you know, incredibly hostile towards the city of Milwaukee and on the city's behalf, towards, you know, sort of neoliberal, um, you know, business-oriented uh, Democrats who have allowed the city's most vulnerable populations to, you know, suffer and struggle and, and um, become the scapegoats of the state. And so, you know, I'm really grateful for groups like Black Leader Organizing Communities in Milwaukee and Lit Leaders Igniting Transformation who are organizing, um, you know, Black folks and, and, and brown folks in, in the city to really demand the future they deserve. And and at the end of the day, all of these campaigns, the fight for 15, the fight for paid sick days, many people don't know that in Milwaukee, we passed a referenda with more than two thirds of the voter support to require any business in the city of Milwaukee to provide paid sick leave, earn sick leave to their workers. And that uh, law that was passed by voters was overturned by preemption at the state level um, at the at the request of the Democratic mayor. When we talk about the now, you know, 87% of the people who have died of COVID-19 in Wisconsin are Black, we have to understand that this is a consequence of a lack of um, political power and of an um, intentional suppression of, of, in particular, Black communities in the state of Wisconsin. And so it's important that we're having this conversation in the context of She the People, of, um, you know, a, a movement of a women of color who are demanding more than just a seat at the table, but who are demanding real power um, that we can use to transform the lives of our people. That's what women of color bring. And I think, you know, it's if we look at what's happening in Wisconsin. Through the lens of women of color, we begin to understand the multiple layers in which racism and sexism and capitalism are creating this, you know, are exploding the impact of this crisis in places like Milwaukee and Detroit and New York City and others.
0: Love everything that you just said, because a lot of people saying that they're truly realizing the disparities that exist in black and brown communities between wages, between health, and it is getting a lot of people interested in union organizing. So what advice would you have for those people? Because we are seeing it not only with Amazon, with their workers wanting to strike. We're also seeing people do rent strikes because of you know, they're not getting fair treatment and understanding from their landlords. So for people who are new to this, where should they start in owning their political power by organizing?
1: I mean, my first suggestion would be the exact same way I started, which is find a local community organization that's working on the issues you're most passionate about. Um, you know, the, the most powerful thing I've learned over more than 20 years uh, in, you know, doing this work is that for most people, folks are really struggling. Whether that's with their mental health or their other health care, whether it's with being able to pay their rent, whether it's with being sexually harassed on the job, like folks suffer in this country, but they do it in silence. We're meant to to believe that that it's just us, and whatever issues or challenges we're having are part of our individual failure. And the reality is is that there is an entire structure of this country that is meant to extract our labor and our wealth and and often stills our joy um you know to benefit a very small class of folks and and so when we begin to tell our stories when we come out of the shadows of of struggling alone and and we find that we are actually more similar and going through the same things than we are different it there's this 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 immense power in it Um, and so you know go find somebody working on the issue you're working on and be willing to you know learn and 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 engage in in those strategies that's that's where i would start but I think this moment offers you the the ability to do so much right and there is no shortage of work to be done the the thing that i'm hoping for most is that we can begin to collectively envision a different future together you know i You mentioned the fight for 15 and I'll never forget that a a union organizer once told me, you know, it takes the exact same amount of time, effort and energy to win a campaign for a $10 minimum wage as it does for a $15 minimum wage. Mm -hmm. Meaning the opposition, we could ask them for 35 cents or we can ask them for double what we're making and either way their answer is going to be no. That power, you know, Frederick Jack just says, power concedes nothing without a demand. And so our, our job is not to limit our lives or our, our expectation for our lives based on what other people, particularly people who stand to profit off of our pain, say is possible. Our job is to, is to envision a society that, you know, where all of us thrive and then to build the political power to make that vision a reality.
0: I love what you said. Really great advice for all of our listeners who are really looking to get into organizing, particularly union organizing. And you hit on this Milwaukee, the state of Wisconsin holding elections during the pandemic. You're currently working at the Center for Popular Democracy. So can you tell us about the work that you do there and how you are thinking about 2020 and the work that you are going to do in light of COVID and what we're seeing around elections,
1: I am so honored to be a part of this network. The Center for Popular Democracy is a national network of grassroots people's organizations in thirty four states, Puerto Rico and washington, d c. We have affiliate partners all across this country who, you know, work on a variety of issues. They are you know, car wash workers, they're Amazon workers, they're fast food workers, they um, you know, are fighting to you know stop the government in Michigan from poisoning them with their water. They are taking over vacant properties in California um, amid this crisis. They are registering millions of voters in Texas. They're they're doing a whole lot of work. What kind of threads them all together is that they are democratic people's organizations. They're owned by the impacted communities. They and and run by the impacted communities. Um, together. Our network had planned to knock 7 million doors uh, through the general election in 2020. We obviously, you know, our political arm uh, CPD action made our first ever presidential endorsement uh, in, you know, this year, largely because we realize what's at stake in 2020 for our communities and largely because we felt it was critical to force a conversation about the folks who always seem to get left behind, particularly in this two-party system, that you know both parties will cater to and speak, you know values to, you know value values to and towards the middle class, but there are you know forty uh, percent of the folks in this country who can't even put four hundred dollars together in a crisis like the one we're in right now. You know we felt like it was critical that we engaged in the entire you know presidential election process including the primary process that black and brown communities deserved to have a strong voice in who was going to be the democratic nominee and lead the party Um, you know so even though our preferred candidate will not be the the democratic nominee i think you know it was critically important for us to engage in the primary because the party had a different conversation Medicare, You know, we saw even as Bernie Sanders uh, was losing, you know, primaries towards the end of the cycle, we saw that Medicare for all won, right? 20 out of 20 primaries and not some obscure version of Medicare for all that the majority of the Democratic candidates were were um, in support of. But it was clearly asked, would you support replacing private insurance? with a, with a um, single-payer government-run system, and in 20 out of 20 primaries where that question was asked, universally the answer was yes. That would not have happened were it not for our communities engaging in and, and finding a candidate willing to you know advance unapologetically the issue of universal healthcare uh, in this primary. So we're really proud of the work that's happening, and we, we really, you know, we think it's important that folks understand, even in, in this crisis, that we have to keep our eyes focused on the general election in November. Um, and in particular, you know, our network did some research and, it, and found that we need around $3 billion, billion billion with a B dollars, for election administration and security in order to fully meet the needs of, of allowing everyone who's eligible in this country to vote to participate in the general election safely, and so there's a huge fight ahead of us that the Republicans are quite clear, and you've heard Donald Trump say we cannot let them win on vote by mail, for example, because um, it will, you know, it will uh, make it less likely that that Republicans will be reelected, and so we 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 see a, a really important fight in election administration and making sure that what we saw in Wisconsin with lines, you know, out the door and around the corner of hundreds of people, um, you know, breaking all protocols for uh, social distancing does not get replicated and cause a big spike uh, and another outbreak of COVID, uh, you know, come November.
0: Ooh, that's a lie, especially when you were talking not only about shifting the narrative, but how you all were able to do that because you were able to knock so many doors and just how in this time elections, particularly in the primary, just changed overnight. But the Center for Popular Democracy does amazing work. How would our listeners be able to get involved or support your work?
1: So you can find us on all social media, just at P O P D E M O C uh on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and then at CPD Action is our political arm. If you want to follow our work uh, in elections, uh, not just the presidential election, but all the way down to state, state and local races. Um, and in uh, on our website, populardemocracy.org, you can find our list of 55. Uh, grassroots state and local affiliates. And so there is likely an affiliate in uh, whatever city you are living in and you are listening from. So we really encourage you to get involved uh, and meet up with our local affiliates.
0: So on your profile page for your see the people interview making the list, you have your plus one and you chose Angela Lang. Why did you choose Angela? Angela?
1: Well, I, I talked about Wisconsin a lot. Obviously, people know that's where my heart is. And Angela um, is the executive director at Black Leaders Organizing Communities um, who in just the two, uh, few years that um, the organization has existed has really transformed the electoral landscape in Wisconsin, um, most notably helping to elect Democratic Governor Tony Evers and and the first African-American Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. Um, they've also helped uh win the first uh state supreme court race in in decades um for democrats they you know but their model is not about building the democratic party their model is about really empowering the local community they have ambassadors that go door to door uh every single day they run a field program They're now switching, obviously, to digital because of COVID, but their goal is to really bring the Milwaukee community together, um, particularly Black Milwaukee, and to um, build independent political power that they can use to really transform the conditions on the ground. So Angela is an incredible leader, and I would encourage everybody to get to know Block uh, and get to know Angela.
0: Awesome. Okay, Jen, this has been an amazing interview. You dropped so much knowledge. One more question for you, our signature question. What advice do you have for the brown girls out there listening, saying, I want to be just like her?
1: My advice is just to know that you are enough. That, you know, the reality is, is that every day somebody will try to make you second guess yourself, um, but you are absolutely enough. Trust your gut and trust your instinct and get yourself a squad of people who are going to cheerlead you and who are going to be there in the moments when you are weak to really hold you up because you are magic and you are everything you need.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. Jen, I have really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for all you do. On the political trail, every single dollar makes a difference. And if you're working on a campaign, you'll be sure to stretch every donation as far as it can possibly go, so you can reach as many voters and have as widespread an impact as possible. ActBlue is one organization that wants as many groups as possible to be able to create strong grassroots fundraising programs. They are a fundraising platform and nonprofit organization that makes it easy to give and to make your voice heard. They help thousands of democratic campaigns, progressive organizations, and nonprofits build people-powered movements. Small-dollar donors are more powerful than any mega-donor. If you're a candidate or organization ready to build your grassroots fundraising program, go to actbluesetup.com. ActBlue's sponsorship of the Brown Girls Guide does not imply support for any candidate or committee. Hey Brown Girls, I know for most of us, our hair is a large part of our identity and rocking it proudly can be the difference between a good day and a great one. That's why more and more of us are choosing to not only color our hair at home, but to also use Madison Reed. They provide at-home hair color kits that give the long quality results delivered to your door. A hair transformation in under an hour and in the comfort of my own home sounds great to me. I personally love them because Madison Reed is founded on the belief that a confident woman is a beautiful woman. And at the BGG, we really do believe women who are confident can change the world. Unlike many other hair color brands, it doesn't have ingredients that can damage your hair. No ammonia, no parabens, no phthalates. Madison Reed color is infused with Argan oil, keratin, and ginseng root asterisk so you get shiny, healthy looking hair. Try their ammonia-free, multidimensional hair color delivered right to your door starting at $22 by visiting madison-reed.com. Use my promo code BGG and you'll get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. My promo code again is BGG. Visit madison-reed.com now to find your perfect shade. madison-reed.com Meet Inse Ufa, the executive director of the New Georgia Project, an ambitious effort to register 800,000 new voters of color and young people while cultivating civic engagement through an innovative blend of technology, art, and culture. You're the executive director of New Georgia Project. I have been a huge fan of New Georgia Project. You, Stacey, for a very long time. Your work has definitely taken on a new meaning, given how COVID-19 has impacted elections. So tell us a little bit how your work has changed over the past month and how you are making sure that free and fair elections are still being had.
2: Our mission and our goals have not changed in any way. Um, since this global health crisis has come to Georgia, our tactics absolutely have shifted and how we get our work done has absolutely shifted. Um, for some time, we've been talking about the weaknesses in Georgia's electoral system, the sort of the weaknesses, the vulnerabilities in our democracy, but also the weaknesses in our healthcare care system um, before coronavirus hit. Uh, We were looking at 12 hospitals in rural Georgia that were about to close. We have counties in our state where um, there is one physician for the entire population and no daily newspaper. I remember a few weeks ago, people were joking about whether or not Black people could get coronavirus because when you looked at the global heat maps, um, there were no cases reported in Africa and there weren't cases being reported in the South. And it, it made me pause because what I realized is that it wasn't, our melanin wasn't some defense against COVID-19, that our communities were, be, were under-tested. And underdiagnosed, and that the healthcare infrastructure that was ex- in existence and on the ground was failing communities of color, particularly Black communities here in the US and abroad. And now we see that one out of 10 COVID deaths are in four states Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Georgia. When you look at the heat map and the mortality rate, it absolutely mirrors the map of the Confederacy, um, and so that has been our work since the New Georgia Project started. We say that you know our goal is to try to build super voters, but we are and super voters are just voters who vote in every election in which they're eligible. But we aren't trying to build super voters just for the sake of you know to say that we have numbers and that people can show up to vote. Um, It's so so that we can make meaningful policy and political changes in our lives. You know, Georgia is going to be the first state in the deep south with a white minority. So African-Americans, Latinos, Asian-Americans are going to make up the majority of Georgians in about four years. Um, But does that mean that we are going to get the policies and the politics that we deserve, that our communities need in order to move from surviving to thriving? The minimum wage in Georgia is $5.15. We haven't expanded Medicaid. And again, we have elected leaders who got on television and lied about not knowing that you can be asymptomatic and spread coronavirus. And so we believe that black people deserve the best, people of color deserve the best, women deserve the best in life, including from their political organizations, including from their elected leaders. And we're working every day to try to make sure that that becomes our reality.
0: Love it. And you talked about how your work isn't changing, but your tactics have. But you all at New Georgia Project have been just so innovative about what you do when it comes to get people informed about voting. And I want you to talk a little bit about the hosted game jam that you all did, which was a 72-hour video game contest focused on voter protection and engagement. How did the idea come about? How did people respond? I just... I was talking to Marcus about it. He was the one who told me, I was like, that's really fabulous. I just love how you all come up with new concepts to really meet people where they are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, our sort of position is that we will leverage every resource that we have access to to make sure that underrepresented and underserved communities are represented, um, that are participating fully in our democracy, and that we get elected leaders who not only know what the issues are in our communities, but who feel accountable to our communities. And so when I say leverage every resource, I mean it. Um, We were doing some research earlier, uh, and, and it comes down to the idea that culture eats strategy for lunch, every day. And so if we can change the culture of civic in, engagement, um, if we can change the culture of our elections, um, then I think that we can start to see the change that we seek. So doing some um, industry research and learn that you know 72% of Black men and boys identify themselves as gamers, 50% of all gamers were women um, or identified as women. And when you start thinking about, you know, my uh, dear um, uncle who is entering into his seventh decade of life and who plays Candy Crush on his phone two hours a day, and you realize he too is a gamer. And so we've registered about... 420,000 people of color and young people to vote just in the state of Georgia since we our doors have been open um you know we aver- we've had about 4 million face to face like high quality face to face conversations we do phone banks and text banks and what i realized is that we aren't innovating in those tactics and it's super easy to ignore a phone call black people don't answer the phone Uh, if they don't recognize the number. And we want to, and we know that. So why not take that cultural knowledge that we have and use it to inform our outreach programs? Text messages are a low sort of intensity way to engage, but like how do we continue to get these messages that we've tested in front of the eyes of the folks that we wanna engage? And so we start thinking about video games, in-app advertising, in-game advertising, but then, and so that's just on the outreach part. I think on our voter education, the idea of gaming for learning is not new. Um, you know, educators have been exploring with this concept for a really long time, and so that's what we did. Seventy-two hours, we took um, esports players, which is basically professional video game players, graphic designers. Voting rights lawyers, canvassers, people that have been purged from Georgia's voter rolls. We put them on teams and had them compete against one another to come up with video game ideas that would peel back the layers, demystify the process, let people give people the game, let them know how this actually works, how our system actually works, how to bring about change and how to make sure that their vote actually counts and to understand the value of their vote. And so it's fantastic people from all kinds of disciplines, but recognizing that the thing that unites us in this particular moment is that we are citizens and that we are members of communities that want to get our demands met. And so, yeah, so one of the first games that's coming out um, is basically a choose your own adventure game that talks about like the challenges of navigating, for example, the public education system as a... A, a student of color with a learning disability and like what that means to get through on the other side. So like really peeling back the layers on on process. And so, yeah, we're really excited about it. We want to get it into people's phones. There've been some delays because of COVID-19. Um, but I think that there's a real opportunity um, to like use play to teach, and to sort of highlight critical and really important issues. And we see this as our work. We jokingly refer to ourselves as a, a voting rights organization, civic engagement organization uh, inside of a tech startup. And and yeah, um, and yeah, um, we are constantly figuring out ways to leverage technology to make it easier for people to participate.
0: That is awesome. And 2020, just definitely going to be an interesting election year. What are some of the things that you think we should be looking out for in regards to voting rights and what are ways some of our listeners could support your organization?
2: You can find us at newgeorgiaproject.org. In this moment, you know, we have over 100 people on our staff. Many of our staffers are located in rural Georgia and in southwest Georgia in what is known as Georgia's rural black belt. And so, while our democracy reform work continues, our fight against voter suppression continues. Our staff and leaders have also sort of been joining, you know, mutual aid societies and making sure that um, members, the most vulnerable members of our community, have the resources that they need to protect themselves. And so, newgeorgiaproject.org forward slash donate, uh, where your donations are absolutely welcome. That will allow us to keep our staff staff on the ground to, again, we work in a lot of places where broadband internet internet is not a thing. And and again, the challenges of finding trusted messengers when you can't believe anything that your president says on television, being able to send text messages to community members in parts of the state where, again, there's no daily newspaper and there's one physician for all residents, being able to text resources and information and breaking news updates that people can trust and act on is super important in this moment. I would say 2020, I would encourage us to sort of connect. So many of us have been talking about healthcare. Many of us have been talking about the need for um, an increase in the minimum wage or the uh, to, to a living wage. Uh, and so there are tons of policy areas that we've been banging our head on trying to build support for. And I think that, um, you know, what we have done is we've been able to connect sort of Georgia's failures as it relates to protecting our people, protecting our communities in light of this global pandemic, to the failures that we've been trying to fix and we've been highlighting for some time now. And so, you know, the need for Medicaid expansion, there's absolutely a coronavirus story that can be used to highlight that. I also think that on the other side, that the enemies of progress and bad actors are going to try to use this moment to push for the reforms that they seek. So I, you know, the Republicans in Georgia have had a press conference talking about, you know, they want, they don't want um, vote by mail to go out to all registered voters and that they would like to see this, instead the state push back uh, our primary elections to a later date as a substitution for vote by mail. Um, I'm of the position that we can do both um, that we can remove the barriers to participation and vote by mail. And we can make sure that the election, if we are going to do in-person voting, that it happens at a time where, you know, we feel safe, that Georgians can go out and participate. Um, I shudder to think about doing GOTV at a time where Georgians are dying at twice the rate of the entire country. Um, uh, at a time where, you know, our leadership has not demonstrated that they are taking the steps that are necessary to keep us safe. Um, And so again, we wanna see vote by mail. I don't think that vote by mail is a panacea at all. Um, I think that if we, if folks are pushing for vote by mail in their states and encouraging their leaders to adopt that as a policy, that we also make sure that they get rid of those ridiculous hurdles that make it for difficult for people to participate. And what I mean is in Georgia, you, if you've never voted by mail before, which is the majority majority of Georgia voters, you have to include a copy of your photo ID with your ballot. I don't own a printer in my home. I don't have a scanner in my home. I know that's the case for a lot of Georgians. We're trying to figure out how to develop some solutions to make that happen. I think that at this moment, um, it's connecting the, the. How do we want to maneuver? on the other side of this, because we will get through this. We will get past this. What kind of world, what kind of Georgia, what kind of America, what kind of world do we want to live in uh, when this is said and done?
0: So well said. Everyone was able to pick a plus one. Who is your plus one and why did you pick her?
2: Oriaku is a young queer organizer uh, here in Atlanta. She's also Nigerian, American, and one of my favorite humans. She's hilarious and she runs an abortion network where they raise funds and try to provide no they actually provide like money but also material other kinds of material support to people who are seeking abortion care and just the idea i mean you know that there are like tons of like Pithy t shirts that like someone you love has had an abortion, abortion access is healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. Abortion is healthcare, et cetera. I just think that she embodies it and she makes it fun. She has all kinds of on ramps for people to participate. And growing up as an immigrant um, and like a, ch- a child of immigrants in this country, I know and really appreciate how taboo. The question of abortion and other sorts of women's health care is in immigrant communities, particularly immigrant communities of faith. And I think that, again, Oriaku manages to organize super, like, small C conservative Africans and Caribbeans, uh, where these conversations would have been taboo years ago, has been able to organize them into sort of having bold, courageous conversations about this topic and why it matters. She manages to do it in a fun and interesting way that doesn't shame people for sort of getting to this place when they get there. Um, And she's just super dope and super funny. And we take turns mimicking our moms and aunts uh, in like over the top Nigerian accents. And it's just nice to know that, you know, in the deep South, it, at this moment in this time that the sort of the, the the diversity, the breadth, the width of what black women's leadership looks like. Uh, that story can be told with my story and with Oriakus. And I'm you know I'm here for it.
0: Yes, love it. All right and say so we're going to move into our final question, our signature question that we ask all of the guests what advice do you have for all the brown girls out there listening saying I want to be just like her?
2: I would say that I was like you know protect your energy um, protect your creativity I know that there were times where I was made to feel as if I was too intense um, that I cared too much that I cared too deeply about issues about politics about race about sex about gender. About, and like all of those things. Um, and I didn't <laughs> like, and, um, you know, my, my voice matters. And so I think that there were times where I shrunk and I played small, um, cause I didn't want to take up too much space. And like, that didn't serve anyone. It didn't serve my purposes and it didn't serve anyone. So like, let, So, like, yeah, definitely protect your energy. uh, Definitely protect, like, your heart and your mind. But also, like, don't play small. Like, you matter. Your voice matters. You have something to contribute. And, like, I mess up all the time. All day, every day. Twice a day, you know, three times on Sundays. But, like, that's also how you learn and grow. And so we got to do a... We're making civic engagement video games, because we messed up. Like we figured some stuff out, some stuff didn't work, but we want to try it. We want to be experimental and entrepreneurial in our quest for justice. And the way that we are going to turn out something beautiful uh, and that is highly effective is by going through a bunch of prototypes that didn't work well. So like, give yourself permission to fail and give yourself permission to figure it out.
0: Such great advice. I relate so much to what you said and say, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for everything that you do. If you have a moment, please take the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay up to date with us on the BGG website, www.thebgguide.com and on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the BG guide. The BGG podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. You can find them on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMN Media. Until next time, Brown Girls. Hey, Brown Girls, before you go, check out this podcast I've been listening to. You Had Me at Black is a storytelling podcast reclaiming the Black narrative. They pass the mic to Black millennials to share their true life stories in their own words. Whether playful, joyful, sad, or reflective, each story comes to you authentic, raw, and unfiltered. You'll hear from Black people like you and not like you at all. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts and follow them on social media at Black.